Let's pray. God, may we not move on from that good news. From the good news that the creator of all things, the one who cast the cosmos, the one who placed the stars in the sky, the one who knit together every person in this room and breathed life into our lungs, that that God has their eyes on us. There's no part of who we are, good, bad, or ugly, healthy or sick. They're outside of your gaze. Lord, we we are thankful for your love. We are thankful for a God that is not just above us, but a God who is with us and God who is within us. And tonight as we think a little more closely on the desert that we enter into into this time of Lent, as we think a little more carefully about the temptations that we say no to so that we can say yes to something better, we pray that you would be with us. We pray that we might encounter you in a new way, that we might leave this room a little differently than we came in. Thank you that your eyes are upon us. Lord, we do love you, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, kids, you can head on out. your programs. Man. I mean, we can call it a night after that music set as far as I'm uh, concerned. I'm really, I I apologize for the severe disappointment that's now coming your way uh, after that set. Um, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We are, of course, beginning as a first Sunday in the season of Lent, uh, the season where we choose uh, the desert, uh, and we mimic uh, the story, really, that we hear tonight of Jesus and his 40 days in the wilderness. So uh, verses 1 through 11 in Matthew, chapter 4, is where we are at, and um, let's read it together. It says this, it says, then Jesus, that's after his baptism, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, By bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, For it is written, he will command angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of God in Scripture for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So again, we have begun the season of Lent, uh, these 40 days in the wilderness. Eh, 44-ish, if you're counting. And in this way, again, we mimic uh, Christ's time of being tempted in the desert before his public ministry began. The story today happens before 
He begins anything else that we're most familiar with. For us, we intentionally step into a time now where we face our true selves, right? Even those parts of us that we try to hide from on a day-to-day basis. Because the desert is the place where pretense and distraction go to die. Where we confess our hunger, we own our vulnerability, we lean into our humanity. This is what we do during Lent. This is what the desert is. We've all had desert moments. Sometimes we've stepped into them. Many times they are thrust upon us against our will. We lean into our humanity and this fleeting and precious nature of our time and the temptations we face to waste the little precious time we have. It's also a season where you hear people fasting. They give up this, give up that. A lot of times it's an excuse for a diet to take up. But whatever we fast from in this season ideally serves this purpose. So we start this Sunday by looking at Jesus and his temptations in the desert. This is the place where Jesus kind of establishes who he is and how he will be in the world, much like the Israelites did in the Old Testament. Jesus kind of reenacting years in the desert they spent, the place where Jesus rescued them too, right? Most times you get rescued from the wilderness. Jesus rescues his people to the wilderness, and he rescues them to the wilderness for them to reestablish who they are. All they've known for generations is slavery to the system. All they've known is Egypt. And so God takes them to this place where the only food they have is what God provided, where they can't store up anything extra for themselves or it goes rotten, where the only way they can be led is by God alone. And for a generation... He has them live in this world, so they establish who they are before they establish what they can do. And while this is a story of Jesus' temptations today, his temptations to compromise his own calling and his own ministry in this world, there's a lot for us to learn from it as well. We learn, broadly speaking, to have the courage to face our own temptations and our own distractions But we can also take lessons specifically from the very things that Jesus says no to in the story. So let's talk through it. This is an easy sermon in the sense of laying through three temptations. Is this jumping in and out? Can you guys hear me all right? Do I need to switch mics? We good? Switch mics? All right. Who who was reading scripture today? Can Can I borrow that one? No, you're going to have to switch this over so this records onto the thing, if we can do it. That one channel is not working, of course. All right, how about that? Can you hear me? Can we good? I've gotten very used to the Britney Spears mic. I'm not quite sure how to, how to handle this. All right. The first temptation that we face, along with Jesus is the temptation towards self-reliance, I think. Although for us, as I'll mention in a moment, I think it's more delusion than temptation. Now, for, for what the devil puts before Jesus is, I know you're hungry, right? He, he, he meets him when he is the most vulnerable. He's hungry, and he says to him, wait, you are God. You are the son of God. Look at all these rocks. Just change them into bread. Eat, because you can do it. And we can assume that for Christ, he actually had the opportunity. He had the ability to turn stones into bread. He can turn water into wine. Why not stones into bread? Self-reliance is an actual temptation for him, meaning he can do this. 
For Christ, this was about saying no to his own power. In Philippians 2, it talks about the equality with God is not something that Christ grasps, but he makes himself nothing, right? But here he is encouraged to grasp his own power, to provide for himself, to feed himself, because he has the power to do that. I don't know about you, I can't turn stones into bread. This is not an actual temptation for me, but I do constantly face the temptation to delude myself into thinking that I'm providing for myself when I am not. I tend to be the person who receives bread and tries to convince myself that I made it, even though the waiter's still standing there. It's a little bit of pride mixed with a need to control, minus appropriate humility, equals this delusion. And I think this is a delusion that comes to us very early in life. I find myself constantly either correcting or wanting to correct my children's temptation to do this very thing. Happens probably eight times a day. Maybe one of the kids gets mad when they see me pulling some Cheetos out of the bag they begged me for in the store that I bought. And they'll stand at their feet and they'll say, what are you doing? Now they should be angry that a 48-year-old man can't say no to Cheetos yet. That is something to be angry about, but that's not their case. What they are mad about is that I had the gall to take one of their Cheetos. Those are my Cheetos. And this is when, because I'm a mature Christian adult pastor, I look and I say, this is a child and they don't know any better, and I forgive them. Or I say, I'm sorry, you don't have any Cheetos. When you get a job, then you will have some Cheetos. Until then, these are all my Cheetos, and I just allow you to eat some. In fact, these are all my toys. That's my iPad. That's my couch and my TV. You are here rent-free, so maybe show a little gratitude. It just drives you nuts as a parent. And while it drives me crazy in my own children, I am that kid. (laughs) The truth is that none of us exist on an island. The truth is that every good thing we know comes from God's own hand. We know it is all grace. It's all a gift. We would do well to live in this posture, to live in the posture of those who have received the good things that we like to call ours and act like we have earned. You remember again that when God took all his people through the desert to form them, they woke up every morning to bread they did nothing to produce. God made bread from nothing. It's God's job. It's what God can do. There is a God, and it is not us. Remember, each week when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, we ask again for this daily bread, the sustenance we need from God's hand. We remind ourselves in that prayer Not just that we have need and we have hunger, but that hunger is only met from one place. We ask for the provisions of a good and generous God. We live on that which comes from the Creator. And though we fall into the trap of thinking that we are producing it ourselves, we think we're making bread out of rocks, truth is we'd just be eating rocks on our own. So for God, for Jesus, this is an actual temptation to perform a miracle to use his own power to help himself. For us, I think the temptation is a little different. It's the temptation to act 
like we are self-reliant in a way that we just aren't. Second temptation. Second temptation is what I will call the temptation of the distraction of a big show. The temptation of the big show. Christ is tempted to make a big public spectacle in order to attract a huge crowd. And I'm going to do something you're not supposed to do as a preacher right now. I honestly think the devil makes a pretty good case here. Like I'm going to literally be the devil's advocate for a moment. Why not? Why not do some big cosmic level event rather than what Jesus is getting ready to choose to do? Have you ever considered for a second how completely ineffective it was for one guy to walk around and humbly heal and teach a few people at a time in this one particular part of the world for these couple of short years? And then half the people that he healed, he told them, hey, don't tell anyone. I said it before, and I mean that Jesus is terrible at marketing. This is not a good way to build a new community. This is not a good way to build a following. This one guy, for a few short years, a couple short years, in this one small place in the world, right? It's called the scandal of particularity is what you'll read in some books on theology. This is a bad strategic plan. It would get thrown back in my face if I presented it to my board at my job during the week. Make a big splash. Do something that people will notice. But Jesus never does it. And sometimes we just want him to, right? Like Jesus just pop down off that cross for one second just to show everyone you can do it. Then you can get back up there and and finish, but at least everyone will know it's your choice. Call down fire from the sky just to prove that you are the man. Do something that won't allow people to casually yell, crucify him, when all is said and done. Go big if you can go big, right? But Jesus always avoids this temptation, and for good reason. I think we all know, if we are honest, that as, as soon as something becomes the big show, that big show always becomes the attraction in and of itself. It will quickly change from something that is supposed to point towards something bigger, and it will become the point itself. We see it happen again and again. Maybe it's a celebrity Christian pastor. Maybe you see it happen with like a mega church. After the, after the big ad campaigns that happened in the last few weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, and I, I, I have no interest in trying to determine whether they're a good idea or a bad idea, what people's were intent behind it or any of that. I don't know. I don't care. But pretty quickly, if you step back and read things and watched it, pretty quickly, everyone ended up talking about the cost and effectiveness of these giant Super Bowl ad campaigns instead of talking about what it was supposed to be advertising. The big show became the point. It was about the ads, not about what it was supposed to be advertising. I don't know if you heard or or have seen much or read much about the revival that was recently happening at a college that everyone started talking about, and suddenly people from all over the country and all over the world started showing up to this revival that was happening for a chapel that just kept going. You watch the struggle happen over that time. How do you keep, and my, my sense was that people who were in the midst of it were trying to do the right thing, trying to make the right choice. How do you keep it from missing the point? How do we keep this from becoming such an attraction that the attraction becomes the thing? Right? They were getting overrun with people. There were some celebrity Christians who tried to get there and take the stage and make a moment out of it for themselves. Thankfully, I love this, they were told no. They were told to leave. That's great from what I hear. 
people started arguing over whether it's authentic or not authentic, and suddenly it becomes the thing instead of the thing that points to the thing. This temptation is something Jesus always says no to. Christ always says no to building the kingdom of God like this. And that leads into the third temptation. The third temptation, I believe, is to use the devil's tools to build God's kingdom. Now, this third temptation, I could do a five- or six-week series on easy. This is, to me, one of the most important little sections of Scripture. It's been so formational for me in the last 10 or 15 years. In fact, if you've been here for 15 years, you've heard me talk about this nonstop. And I will say, I feel pretty justified in it, especially when people like were like storming the Capitol violently and then praying in Jesus' name in there. I think it bore out a lot of the things I was saying uh, we should be careful of. But finally, we have here the temptation to use the devil's tools to build God's kingdom. And again, I could talk about this for a long time. The devil offering the kingdoms of the world to Christ. A few things to note right away. The fact that scriptures can, and Jesus concedes that the kingdoms of the world are the devils to offer that is something to think about. The fact that Jesus seems to have zero interest in running the kingdoms of this world while his followers can't stop grasping for them is something to think about. The fact that Christ chose later to die at the hands of the kingdoms of the world instead of exercising power over them should make us stop and think a little bit. All of these are a large part of what informs my idea of Christian faith and practice. This temptation is a big one. Jesus says no to the kingdoms of this world because he knows you can't build God's kingdom with the devil's tools. This is one of those situations where I think Christ says no because the medium is the message. You cannot separate the principle from the path to get there. The ends are the means. You cannot build the kingdom of God with a kingdom of the world. You can't deliver love through a closed fist. You can't make true peace from the end of a sword, right? The ends are the means. The medium is the message. You cannot de- demonstrate a power under kingdom of God with the power over tools of the world's kingdoms. You undermine the message with the wrong delivery system. God's humble, servant-hearted, self-sacrificial kingdom will always be built in the slow humble way we love our neighbors every day and give our lives for their benefit. That's the only way to build God's kingdom. There is no shortcut. There is no way to force it on anyone. That's not how love works. If we use those tools, even if you slap Jesus' name on it, we are building something else. There's a reason why Jesus doesn't raise an army, doesn't overthrow Rome, doesn't establish his rule by force. Because if he did those things, then it would be a different kind of kingdom altogether. It would honestly be the same world under a different name. And Christ is trying to build a new world altogether. You remember after, uh, when, when Israel was being formed, after they were marched through the desert, after they spent their years trying to establish who they are, and they finally got their own nation. You remember they came to God and they said, we want a king. And God says, no, you don't. You don't know what that means. You don't know what you're asking for. You cannot be that kind of kingdom and this kind of kingdom. And they, like us, said, sounds great, but 
let's do this instead. A kingdom of this world can never build or become the kingdom of heaven. The method always changes the message. The means are the ends. Jesus says no to a power to meet his own needs. Jesus says no to power and independence. Jesus says no to the big spectacle. And Jesus says no to the kingdoms of this world in order to say yes to the new world he is here to establish. And so so must we. Now maybe you can relate to these three particular temptations, or maybe not. But you, like me, have temptations of your own. You have some things before you that require you to say no if you ever hope to say yes to that which is most important, most loving, and most Christ-like. And that is what this season is about. It's about saying no in order to say yes. So may we learn from Jesus' time in the desert. May we not give in to our own hunger pangs for importance, protection, and security. May we recognize that there is no difference between the means and the ends when it comes to love. And may we say no to everything that gets in the way of our most important yes. Let's pray.